My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a mediocre Stardew farmer. And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be doing a lot of things, which includes rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end where we'll explain them. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan or anyone involved in the Burn Notice multiverse, please get in (laughs) touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind about anything, even if it's nothing to do with us. Don't complain at us. Yeah, I don't want to hear it. Exactly. At burnnoticepodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticepod. And that's all, as always, that is with a D, like the name of our podcast. Mm-hmm. And Brie has already pulled up Stardew Valley. <laughs> like, right before we started recording, we were talking about what we would talk about. And I... Mm-hmm. What, and what she, non-burn notice topics exactly. we had to plumb. And, like, I said, you can maybe talk about Stardew Valley because you were hyper fixating on it. Mm-hmm. And then, like, Brie literally opened it up and is now going to give me a tour of her Stardew Valley house. Uh, not necessarily house, although I can show you my house. Uh, I thought you were giving me a tour of the house. Uh, no, so Stardew Valley. Are you familiar with Stardew Valley? I'm not familiar with Stardew Valley. Stardew Valley is the game that is There's not the other one. That's not the other one? Yeah. What, what What's the other one? I can't remember the name of the other one, but it was the one that everyone was playing in quarantine. Oh, Animal Crossing? It's not Animal Crossing. No, it's 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 a little bit more... It's similar to Animal Crossing, but like it's not multiplayer. Uh, it, it can be, but it's right. not as much. It's like a, a farming simulator yeah. game where you like build a homestead and you can like upgrade things, but mostly you like have a farm and animals. So like this is my farm. Uh, I got all sorts of cool stuff. Ooh, I got a letter today. What's the letter say? Oh, one of my friends made me a treat. Gus made me a vegetable medley. Delicious. I've got some beer brewing. Uh, I got some pickles and caviar being made. How exciting. There's a lot of fermenting going on. on Yeah, there's a lot of fermenting. Here's my little Junimo guys uh, helping me harvest. There's my horse. Uh, Here is my ostrich barn where I got a bunch of fucking giant ostriches that I have to go and pet every day. So I I have to give all of them a pet. What do you do with the ostriches? Well, I breed them. I could breed them for profit because like once you get them to like their happiest, it, uh-huh. it like it's like they're fully leveled up. So like this is Stormy, one of my 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 newer ones. It's only one month old, so it's only got half a heart so far. But the more I pet it and interact with it every day, the like more hearts it gets, which also means the technically more valuable. So like I could sell Elodie, a two month old ostrich, for thirteen almost fourteen thousand gold. I'm not gonna do that because I like Elodie. I like all of my guys. But so ultimately for me, what it is is getting to the max number of animals so that when I let them out, I can just have like a bunch of fucking ostriches just like all over my farm just like for the aesthetic for the aesthetic i also here's my so you're not gonna butcher them no no no, no. you so you can't butcher them you can sell them uh you can to you be can, butchered you can yes exactly you can make mayo out of their uh eggs so like here's my dinosaur uh barn or my it's a coop i think they live in a coop so these are my these are all of my dinosaurs um I've got bitty ones. truly so many my favorite thing about stardew valley is the naming so like you can name them whatever you want like you can uh-huh. write your own names for animals you've named this one chungas so here's the thing i didn't they also have like a random a name randomizer and they're all insane so here's that's chungus oh that's chungus again hey chungus get out of the fucking way there's gracky uh fatsos <laughs> And these are names that stardew valley just generates it's right. like they're all nonsense names and i'm obsessed here's ketchley like with a K. Catchly with a K. Catchly, no. that's Chongus again. Chongus is, it really Chongus is a big Chongus. He is. You keep clicking him. Yep, Gallico. Gallico. And so then here's all of my uh, my pigs and my cows and stuff. So Tricardo, the cow, is one of Tricardo my older cows. the cow. He's one of my older cows. I've got some blue chickens. So like basically the way that like it works in Stardew Valley is that like you're trying, you're, I mean, you can do whatever you want. Right. But like presumably in order to buy upgrades and things like that, you want to maximize profit. So like the thing 
things like the mayo maker, um, or I have some cheese makers that I have the, um, the picklers and I've got the kegs and things like that is that it takes the raw materials that your farm produces, whether it's crops, whether it's, you know, the pigs generate truffles, yeah. whether it's milk from like your cows and goats and stuff or whatever. And you can buy machinery that like upgrades those materials. So like I can turn raw eggs into mayo, which is more valuable. Right. I can make milk into cheese. I can make, you know, cucumbers into pickles kind of a thing. Right, exactly. And so like that's that, but like, because there's like different specificities of like raw materials. So like I have void eggs, I have dinosaur eggs. I can also make like even more advanced specialized types of stuff. I should also point out, I saw that you have a horse named Fiona. I do have a horse named Fiona because I don't know if you guys know this, but I have a podcast about burn notice where there's a character named Fiona in it. And so sometimes, especially when I'm like watching or listening to something while I play Stardew Valley, because here's the thing that I like about video games in general, the, the way that I play video games, um, but Stardew Valley in particular is that it's perfect podcast listening. And I, I often edit the podcast to Stardew Valley because it's one of those things where it's like, it, there's not like active combat, you know, right. I can fight things. I, there are fighting, no, yeah. but like it's, it's, it's very like chill. So I don't really need to pay a lot of attention to it. So I can be doing other things, whether that's editing a podcast. There's or a lot of like, one. it's a lot of busy work. Exactly. But that's like, that's the thing. No, know? that's like, it is a game that is built out of busy work. It's mm-hmm. why I don't like this genre of game. Yeah. And I, and um, I, and I like other I, non busy work style, but like, I don't, you know, I love podcasts, especially narrative podcasts. So here's my, slime dungeon Here's this my does tree. feel a little bit like an economic bubble <laughs> this feels like this is going to collapse because no one actually wants slime <laughs> yeah i'm flooding the market you're flooding like this is like this is nfts yeah i only recently upgraded to the the there's like a a species of like forest spirits called the junimos if you have like the specific resources and have unlocked something after a certain number of quests you can unlock what's called a junimo hut which is you basically build them a little house on your farm and yeah. they help you harvest so instead of me having to manually go around and pick right. all my crops they will do them for me right which has been a huge time saver and also the cute little water uh, forest spirits are just like bouncing around my yard and i can change the color of what uh, forest spirits they are by putting different gems in their houses so if I put like an aquamarine gem, they're all blue. And if I put an emerald in there, they're all green. And it's it's cute. Of course, you need to go on a gem heist. Yeah, like they well, did last week. On. At this point, um, it, if you want to talk about the bubble, the inflation is insane because uh, I now have these things that print gems for me. They basically duplicate gems. So once I've found a gem, like Wait, here's, here's a jade. Like, these gems are fungible? These are fungible gems. These are FGs. FGs. <laughs> Fungible gems. But yeah, so now I have like constantly generating um, like crystallariums, I think is what they're called. So like once you find a gem, um, instead of having to just like find it again, you can just print more. (laughs) So it's just like a photocopier of gems, which means that I always have profit from that. Oh, I hate this. I I understand why. Like I I do think this is probably amazing. Like for the exact for po- thing that people want. Yeah, for the exact thing that people want and like for podcast listening. Like oftentimes mm-hmm. yeah, when I want huge. when I want to listen to a podcast, I want something a lot like this. Mm-hmm. But I also just yeah, I am not that into games that are fundamentally about maintenance because I am so yeah. bad at maintenance in my own life. I mean, I'm also bad at maintenance in my own life, which is why I like how easy it is to like clean yeah. things up. So like, doesn't it, in a couple of weeks ago, one of the things I talked about was my, my love of the game house flipper. Didn't, did we talk about this? Or like know. I was building, um, it, it's like a, it's another kind of busy work game, yeah. but it's a busy work game that's like more hyper-realistic and you're like, you're flipping houses. So you're right. often buying these like condemned properties and you have to fix it up. And it, when I say fix it up, I don't just mean like, now let's paint the walls. It's like, well, there might be water damage. So you have to uh, fill in the walls with spackling first. Right. And then you have to like pick up all the trash on the property. You have to mow the lawn and then you can build your canvas. But like a lot of the game is like, you know, knocking down walls to rebuild better walls and like stuff like that and I also fucking love that it just makes my computer run really slow because that's a really hefty game yeah but yeah I love that shit how do you feel about burn notice it's fine just kidding I love burn notice all right let's talk about this episode season six episode 16 odd man out which aired on December 13th 2012 and it was written by Peter Lalanis and Ryan Johnson and directed by Mark Roskin I don't remember if we've talked about Mark Roskin before but he's 
directed, like, at this point, like, four other episodes of Burn Notice. He's mostly known for directing a lot of Leverage. Mm. Um, so he is on loan from Leverage right now. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, yeah. we've talked about it before. They have a lot of spiritual similarities. Exactly. And the premise of this episode, according to IMDb, is Michael gets caught between a smuggler and the client against whom he is seeking revenge. And at this point, we know who the smuggler is. Yeah. Because it's been Patton Oswalt this whole time. Mm-hmm. This season... Patton Oswalt all along. This season is wild, pacing-wise. Mm-hmm. Remember how, like, the big beginning of the season like things were completely different like dr yeah, cox was there he was nate, in jail he was in jail at the start of the season mm-hmm. like now nate, nate was alive he was alive fucking um anson was alive right oh yeah this yeah because anson and nate died at the same time this this they had a, they had a season <laughs> yeah burned through plot so fast mm-hmm. and is now really digging in on getting out of the country mm-hmm. like getting out of the cut country is taking forever like i remember what us talking about earlier episodes like well what happens now if we're burning through plot so fast it's like oh we're just gonna slow down a lot mm-hmm. yeah which once again makes me feel like there was some weird behind the scenes yeah stuff this going. season feels like a transition season yeah it's like did they think that this was their last season but then halfway through they realized no you're gonna get one more shortened season right. so like were they writing to one ending and then realized fuck we gotta like lead this on a little longer was it a contract thing because like several major actors left at seemingly random times yeah yeah something something's going on behind the scenes yeah there's just a lot of churn it's not that i don't like it i mean one of the things that i liked about like an you know objectively really really good tv show the good place is that they also kind of churned through plot yeah, you know, yeah. they 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 were they 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 came to prominence because every time you thought, oh, they're going to mine this for an awful lot, it's like, no, next episode they reveal it, and now we have to deal with the consequences. Exactly. And I do like that about this season. Like this season has not been consistent, but it's been exciting. No, I think the the thing that's funny to me or interesting is how we kind of stopped churning through plot mm-hmm. and like are really taking our time now. They met it, Patton Oswalt, and they're like, I guess we could stick around for a little. Exactly, while Patton Oswalt's around like. For three episodes, a character that so obviously seemed like he was going to be around for one episode, Mm -hmm. but is now here for three whole episodes. Yeah. And it's just, but I do appreciate it. There's an almost Breaking Bad way in which we are now, like, buttoning down on, like, these very practical, like... Concerns. Concerns, these really kind of small-scale process concerns. Mm -hmm. Like, literally, the, the movie that they did, the, like, the Breaking Bad movie... El Camino, like it was a whole movie that was functionally this same thing. How do I, how do I get out and like start a new identity type stuff? Like hmm. really digging in on process that mm-hmm. way. And this feels like that in a way that I enjoy. I like the the extent to which we are getting granular on the process of leaving the country forever because we've threatened to leave the country so many mm-hmm. times and like. People casually leave the country all the time, but it's like, no, it's a process, Mm -hmm. and we're going to go through every step of it. Yeah, it feels like like there's real stakes this time. Like, it it feels less just like, they could come back from this. Like, they're setting it up like, this is a permanent, or semi-permanent decision we are making. And it's also, like, really kind of going all in on that kind of original premise of being a spy is boring a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, all of this stuff is really kind of petty. It's all paperwork. Like, there's, this is like three episodes in a row of paperwork. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it's freelancing paperwork. So exactly. it's often chaotic. It's often often chaotic. And obviously it's interesting television. Mm-hmm. Like, because it has to be. But it is literally all just about getting your paperwork ready. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about that more in the weeds. Yee. All right. So, um... After the end of last week, where Madeline decided to come with, Michael begins by burning Madeline's ID and all of her other special papers, but she wants to hold on to her old address book. That she's had since, like, before she got married Exactly. It was like, it's a big personal thing to her. And Michael explains that, no, there can be nothing connecting us to their old li- identities. Like, that life is over. Not only can you not have this book anymore, you can't talk to anyone who's in the book. You don't need it anyway. Like... You will never see these people again, so. But here's the thing, is that 
Best case scenario, she does. Because even Michael is like, this is a hopefully temporary situation. Like, it'll probably be a longer situation than normal, but he has every intention of making things right. I don't know. So it feels like you can't get a fucking safety deposit box it's under un- an alias. I don't know. It's, you can't leave this at Patton Oswalt's I house? Because Patton Oswalt's not leaving. He's just chilling. You know what I would say about this? I think normally I would agree. They have done such a good job of establishing Riley as someone who is on top of everything. That's fair. Like, Riley, I firmly believe, would find the safety deposit box. Like, Yeah, but if it's all that's in it is like, well, here's all of our old shit. Like, yeah. what is she going to do? Say, I'll burn the address book unless you come back. Well, these are all, I guess... All the people in here are people that can be leaned on. They're people who can be arrested. They're people who can... But as know. long as she doesn't contact them, then, like, it's just, oh, I guess these are her old friends. I know, but, like, it's a, one of those situations where, like, you could use them as leverage. I guess that's true. It's also, like... them out. That's fair. I think... Yeah. And it, it also might be fair to say that it's, like, a symbolic thing of, like, this is a tangible representation of what you are committing to right exactly. now. Exactly. Like, yeah. No, totally. You know, the address book, maybe we could find a way to keep it for you, but like, that's not the point. The yeah. point is like, this is, you have to give this up. Exactly. You have to accept that maybe this will never be relevant. And that, that is definitely the way the scene plays. Yeah, so that makes fair. sense. Yeah. But it's a podcast. I got to talk sometime. Exactly. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Sam and Jesse meet a smuggler named Vanek. That Schmidt knows, and this point in my note-taking, I have fully committed to calling him Schmidt and not calling him Patton Oswalt anymore. Why? Because at this point, we've had this character around for three episodes, and I feel him as a distinct person from just Patton Oswalt. I don't. I Every time they say his name, I my brain does like that Star Trek auto-translate thing of like, yeah. Patton Oswalt. Exactly. Hey, Patton. <laughs> but yeah, so now he's Schmidt, my notes. Ugh. Confusing. <laughs> anyway it's like calling dr cox tom card or some shit right here's i will say it was actually a little bit hard because I, I i bought so fully and like he had become enough of a character in my mind that it was actually a little bit harder to maintain calling him doc, dr cox like and i think i didn't want to do that again <laughs> like when i would take my notes i would write card and then replace it with dr cox <laughs> i would just like go back and forth depending on my mood and it's, I, it's like using like multiple sets of pronouns. I mean, that's fair, but still, identity is fluid. Is all I'm saying. God, you're so conservative. You're so buttoned up. Anyway, they meet a, <laughs> they meet a smuggler named Vanek, who is played by that one pirate from Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, is that who that is? Yeah, he's like the one. I thought he was familiar. His voice was really familiar to me, but I was like, "But you have the face of every old white man." I mean, at first I thought maybe he was Robbie Coltrane, but no, he is the guy. He is like the one pirate friend of like Jack Sparrow. Uh, yeah, I know what you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, was yeah. also in 2021 was on Doctor Who for like a few episodes. He was getting that too. It's been a while since I've seen Doctor Who. Yeah. I that used to be like a fundamental aspect of my personality yeah and then like somewhere around the end of matt smith beginning of peter capaldi yeah. i just stopped yeah no that happened for a lot of people even though peter capaldi's run is really good and then this jody whittaker she's trying but this era is so bad i'm glad it's almost over i was gonna say are you attributing that to the showrunner i'm 100 percent attributing that to the showrunner he has never written a thing i've enjoyed ever ever i think he's genuinely a bad bad writer not even individual episodes i don't remember what chris chibnall wrote individually he wrote a lot of boring shit when he wrote episodes uh i also literally watch i watched all three seasons of broad church which is the thing that he like got super famous on, like, made his name on. Mm -hmm. It's a bad show. It's a terrible show. (laughs) It's not a good television show. The first episode was a freebie on iTunes once, because they used to do that sometimes, where they'd, like, give out a pilot for free on iTunes. And so I watched the pilot a couple of times, and I was like, I have no interest in continuing this. I like all the actors, but this seems boring as fuck. It is. It's terrible. He, like, is... So bad at writing endings. Hmm. Like he is I mean, so, so is Stephen Moffat. I mean, Stephen well, Moffat no, but, like, but Stephen Moffat is writing towards an ending. The ending doesn't always work, but he writes towards an ending. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I no. feel like the exploding TARDIS did not end where he initially expected. Well, no. I think like what I'm talking about on a... I mean, on an episode by episode basis, Chris Chibnall is so bad at writing endings. Oh, okay. And like, I will say, like... And is so arbitrary in the way that he writes endings. There's a story about Chris Chibnall. There is a story about Chris Chibnall wherein he shot an alternate 
ending to the first season of Broadchurch, just in case that the original one leaked. Oh my god. Like That's like so, Game of Thrones nonsense. It is, and that's how he writes. Like, I hate that so much. So it's like, and I hate that fans think that that's like a success. No, it's like, this is what we want. We want showrunners to be like trying to surprise us instead of writing a good, satisfying story that, yeah, if you're paying attention, will have some predictable elements. Exactly. And it becomes this thing of like, that means that you have, you don't care what the ending is about. Mm -hmm. And like, that's the thing where like, I really respond to a writer who is writing towards an ending even if you um, don't love the ending. Even, even if, if you I don't, don't buy it. Even yeah, even if I don't buy it exactly. Like, the idea that, like, that is the point of the story is to, like, you get to the point where you get to the end, your ending, your climax is kind of where you re- reiterate what the whole thing is about. And I guess that's kind of what I mean. Even if you, like, at the beginning don't quite know where you're going, the ending is where you reaffirm where you want it to go. Mm-hmm. Like, what this was about... Like, even if you didn't know what it was about when you started, because lots of times you don't. You mm-hmm. don't know where you're going. But when you get to the end, you have to have known where you were going. Like, sure. like have decided that this is where I was going and this is what it was about. And he has no interest in doing that at all. Just terrible, terrible writer. Anyway, but he's going to be gone. And so I'm happy about that. Yeah. I, I, I just, it. do you think it's going to be a thing where they're like, well, instead of this being a, like a statement about Chris Chibnall shouldn't have been in charge. It's it's like, well, we tried a female doctor. Didn't work. I mean, almost certainly. But also, I do think that because Russell T. Davies is coming back Mm -hmm. and he has clout. A, he has clout because he's proven he can do Doctor Who before. Mm -hmm. B, he has clout because, like, he has done a bunch of successful shows since then. He's coming off It's a Sin, which I noted really well people really like so i think this this is actually a really good moment for him where he has clout but, I but think, isn't jody but i heard leaving yeah do you think he's gonna replace her with another woman i think you... i think he will i think he Interesting. will yeah no i think that i think he will like replace jody whittaker either with like with a woman um definitely a person of color like it will not be another white man i am saying this is my prediction okay but like it will not be another white when will man. we know will we know before we are done recording burn notice I don't know, possibly. I know, like, he's already written his first... Because, like, this is the other thing. The first episode of Doctor Who that he is writing after having gone for a long time is the 60th anniversary. Like, he is starting on the 60th anniversary. And so, like, and I know he's already written at least a draft of that. Pages are written for the next Doctor. Okay. Well, in any case, called shot, non-white man Doctor coming at you. Yeah. Also, Russell T. Davies been very, like, vocal in support of trans rights, which at a point in the UK really means something. Mm-hmm. I will say the most likely option, mm-hmm. I think, at this point, and I have to look up this actress's name, is a, an actress who, at this point, uh, Lydia West. No, I don't, I don't recognize her. She has not been in a lot of things at this point. Okay. But she has been in, she has had very prominent roles in both, a Russell T. Davies show and a Stephen Moffat show. Hmm. We, I, I think we've gotten to like two points in this outline. So let's this, pick up. Yeah, I was just saying. You're the one who started talking to me about Doctor Who. I know. You did that to me. I, so did, to, I did do that to you. <laughs> no, if you want to hear more thoughts about my like Doctor Who opinions, you can listen to Rassilon. Yeah, I was going to say, thankfully, um, there is a podcast for that. Like, honestly, I mean, around I, the time this one comes out, when is this one coming out? That's a great question. Probably February sometime. I am probably going to be on a Rassilon. Uh, oh, no, March 7th. This comes that, out March 7th. Yeah, I'm probably going to be on a Rassilon that's coming out around this time. So either if it's not out right now, it's about to come out. So listen to me talk about, like, my personal favorite doctor when that when that comes out. Hell yeah. Anyway, let's talk about Burn Notice. <laughs> I mean, so, we, we're technically in the weeds already. We are in the weeds. All right. So... Uh, so they meet this guy who's played by the guy from Pirates of the Caribbean, which is how we got there. Mm-hmm. And he is really mad that Schmidt, Patton Oswald is mm-hmm. not there. Like, yes. they're going to pick up these, like, chips that are going to go on passports to make them good. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got these chips. However, he really wanted to make Patton Oswald grovel. Yes. And I think it's very clear. I want to get the timeline of this right, because I'm pretty sure this is the timeline of events. 
At this point, he just wants to humiliate Patton Oswalt. I think so. Yeah, and well, then, I think even Patton Oswalt was like, I don't know, we have a weird thing. Like, don't yeah. ask him about me, please. Exactly. Like, I shouldn't go. Just you'll you'll be you'll have a much better time without me. Yeah, he's like been sh- he's had shitty dealings with this guy. Yeah, he just wants to watch Schmidt gravel. So they have to end up they end up doubling the price for the chips mm-hmm. in order to like not have Schmidt be there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and didn't but, he also punch Jesse? Yes. No, he punches Sam. So, yeah, yeah he Sam. says, like, oh, he tell says him. Something about his chin, yeah. Yeah, no, he says, like, uh, A, I, two messages for Schmidt. One, I want you to tell him that I'm going to get all of his remaining business contacts. I will completely eat his business alive. I've already started. <laughs> a, and B, and then he punches Sam in the face. Yeah. And it's like, give that to Schmidt or whatever. And, and presumably Sam tells Schmidt this mm-hmm. um, because that is the catalyst for everything that is about to happen. Yep. Yeah. So back at the safe house, which I think is Schmidt's house. Like, yeah, yeah, I think it's just Schmidt's house. It's How just, big is Schmidt's house? Where is everyone sleeping? I don't I'm know. I'm fascinated to know the sleeping arrangements. I mean, I feel like Schmidt is someone who lives in a certain amount of comfort. So it's probably, wherever they're sleeping, it's probably nice. Even if it's just on a couch, it's like a good couch. <laughs> at the, sa- at the, Schmidt house, the safe house, the Schmidt house. Yes. Okay. Uh, the Schmidt. The, the Jesse sh- is Schmidt keeping house. watch on the perimeter and on Madeline who tries to leave but to see Nate's grave and Jesse tells her, you can't go to Nate's grave. Like the CIA is going to be on Nate's grave. Tells her that all of this is going to be okay. And she asks, is it? And he's like, I hope so. Which I love this little moment where they're both kind of like, this little moment of vulnerability because we've seen so much of Sam being kind of unsure of all this. Especially because Sam has specific things to lose. Exactly. And has really specific moral lines that he doesn't want to cross. Mm-hmm. And, We've never really spent a lot of time on Jesse here. Uh, and, like, even Fee, like, because Fee and Michael have such a thing, like, it's sort of assumed that they're... They're going to ride or die no matter what. Yeah, those two are ride or die. But, like, Jesse isn't necessarily. And we kind of don't spend a lot of time mm-hmm. with, like, how Jesse feels about all this. And I kind of miss that. Mm-hmm. I wish we had a little more of that. And I like this moment where we kind of get to see a little vulnerability from Jesse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish we had more time to spend with Jesse. It's funny because like, I feel like we got so much from him that first season when we were like scamming him. But yeah. then as soon as he was back on board, like, I don't know, you guys seem fun. I'm gonna stick around. He kind of just faded into the background. Yeah. And like, I wish we we had a little more with him. Exactly. Just like as a plot. Someone mm-hmm. who holds story. Yeah. Yeah. And he can hold so much. He's so big. Exactly. He's got that big old bald head. Perfect. Yes. Anyway, the gang, minus minus Jesse, but plus Schmidt, meet Dixon, who has made passports real good. They're real good passports. Oh, yeah. I will say. Remember, Dixon's the one that introduced us to exactly, Schmidt. Exactly, to Schmidt. I forgot um, about that until the scene, and I was like, cut this guy again. Oh, yeah, I guess it this makes, makes sense fun. because we know they know each other. I will say this about Peter Lalanis and the, Brian Johnson. They have done the best job trying to find a characterization for Dixon (laughs) of anyone so far. Mm -hmm. Like, he's written a little bit better. He's less annoying in this scene. And, like, when he is annoying, he's a more entertaining annoying Mm -hmm. as opposed to just, like, a really boring character. Mm -hmm. Like, So how would you define him in this scene? I don't... It's... I don't know. It's just, like, he's a little bit goofier. It seems, like, a little bit more building on, like, the kind of guy who decided at the beginning of this whole process that he was going to pretend that Fee was his girlfriend. <laughs> like, Oh, yeah, the role play thing. Yeah, like, about like leaning into, like, him being that kind of person. Mm-hmm. And, like, that was kind of the sense that I got. I don't know. It just felt like Dixon popped for me for the first time in this scene. Anyway, however, Schmidt is anxious about being outside dealing with passport stuff and it turns out there's a good reason because a bunch of Bannix guys show up and a chase ensues with the gang having to do having to do with Schmidt's cheap van because that's all they got um they don't have anything that's useful that can outrun anything they don't have a nice Hyundai uh they just got a cheap van and they wind up surrounded at a factory and Schmidt reveals that he has reported Bannix to the feds because he was taking his business this is all Schmidt's fault yeah Yeah, 100% of this episode is Schmidt's fault. Exactly. And it goes beyond just this particular situation. Exactly. But it's all all of a piece, too. Like, Mm -hmm. he's he's very consistent in, like, he will always make a very selfish decision Mm -hmm. to, like, save his business. Like, that is very, like, so I 
fully bought that. I was like, oh no, of course that's what he does. Oh yeah, I bought it a hundred percent. I'm saying that like that it's more than just now they're trapped in a no, warehouse. No, it's like this has further reaching issues. Oh yeah, and we will learn more about that as it goes on. <laughs> anyway, so Michael realizes that they're not gonna try to kill Schmidt, mm-hmm. and like Patton Oswald even reiterates, like, no, I know what happened. I know what's going on. Like he's gonna take me back to his place and then torture me and get all my business contacts and then kill me. But like they need Schmidt alive for now. And so the only plan is to escape out of the back of the factory and keep moving because they have next to no ammo. Mm-hmm. I will say, I was very excited once I realized we were in a factory because I do love factories as, like, settings for, like, action things. Because mm-hmm. there's so much stuff. Yeah. Like, and there's a lot of, like, there's flammable of, stuff and there's, like, big heavy things. And, like, machinery. Mm-hmm. And, like, you could do all these, like, fun gags, like... In a factory. And they largely do. They do. Like, no, I think this episode does a pretty good job of, like, giving, like, fulfilling the premise of we're in a factory. I mean, I think that's something that Ryan Johnson and Peter Lannis are really good at. Yeah. Is they're, like, the world building is something that they take really seriously. Yeah, no, they're, like, which I love. Like, mm-hmm. for me, it's very important to be on television that characters exist in a context. Mm-hmm. And, like, really having characters, like in a context and reacting to the context and having that be part of the storytelling mm-hmm. is very important to me. And I think they do that a really good job of that. Yeah, I agree. And always have. At the, as they head to the back of the factory, Michael calls Jesse and fills him in and tells him that they need a ride out of there that can withstand a lot of bullets. Because as we know from last week, now when their car gets shot up, there's actual consequences. Exactly. So Jesse and Madeline go to a construction site and pretend to be with the truck rental company who are recalling a dump truck that doesn't work. And Mm -hmm. the guy at the site does not buy this. And so Jesse rigs it so that there's a little explosion when they like turn on the like headlights Mm -hmm. to convince this guy that they're legit. Madeline's really good in this scene. Madeline's always good when when they pull her in and she's always like at first, like she looks really nervous and then she gets into the scene and she's, she's like me. Like once she's in the situation, she's like, fuck you. I am this person. Exactly. I know, but I did really enjoy this. And, like, the guy, the the day player who they have playing the dump truck guy is great. I, mm-hmm. It's a good scene. Yeah, it's a fun scene. It, yeah. it, it kind of, I, I didn't, I think I missed when Jesse actually did the rigging. And it kind of plays off, like, he fucked something up, but he doesn't know what it is. So they have to keep having the guy, like, try different things in the truck. I kind of thought that was what was going on, too. Even though I saw him, like, I missed the, like... Where it was, yeah, mm-hmm. and so it and did I feel, feel like that he way did too. too. Yeah, and, yeah. and I like that. And Jesse was like, mm, "Try the horn, yeah. try, try the lights." Ah, see. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, back with Michael, Michael and the gang and Schmidt get pinned down behind a heavy metal door, and Schmidt just wants them to shoot all of them, even though they clearly can't take them. They have no bullets. Like Schmidt's plan right now is just you should just kill all of them. Mm-hmm. You should like. Kill all of them. They're trying to kill us. Kill them Yeah, back. he's like, there's 13 people. You have 14 bullets. Mathematically, this works out. Exactly. <laughs> like, I understand how all of this works. Mm-hmm. I understand tactics. <laughs> I'm a field guy. Yeah. But yeah, they clearly cannot do this. Vanek calls Schmidt and Michael takes the phone. And Vanek tells Michael that he doesn't care about Michael and only wants Schmidt. But Michael says he's not just going to give him up to die. And after the phone call, Fia's like, what if we did, though? And Schmidt's like, what the fuck? And Fia's like, stop, stop snitching, motherfucker. You stitched to the feds. And honestly, like, this is the Fiona that makes the most sense in context of what we actually know about Fiona. Yeah. And I prefer this Fiona. I prefer the kind of bloodthirsty, like, mercenary Fiona. But it also feels weirdly out of context from, like, the Fiona of like a season or two ago when it was always like the even the Fiona from earlier this season with Anne where she's like no now I have a line exactly and it's like yeah and it's like where is like what is Fiona's line here it's unclear like I like this fee I yeah. like bloodthirsty chaotic fee I do too but like yeah it's it's tough I I just basically anything any episode that doesn't that that is out of canon with this version of Fiona, I just sort of reject outright. Right. And anytime it does, I'm like, yes, it's Fiona. <laughs> well, there she is. Yeah, exactly. I've missed you. Anyway, so they temporarily, t- they temporarily take out the power at the factory so they can stop a big industrial fan in the wall and walk through it. And Michael and Schmidt go through it, but before Sam and Fee can, emer- emergency power kicks back on and the fan starts back up again, separating them. Again, this is great. I love this. Mm-hmm. This is some, like, Spielberg shit. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah, yeah, very Uh, good stuff. 
Yeah, I think it's because the Vanix guys are, like, trying to break through the wall and they hit something. Yeah. And that's what makes the emergency power come back on. That's what triggers it. Well, I thought it was just, like, a backup system. I feel like they... Tr- I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's good. We love yeah. it. It's good. So Michael looks for something heavy to stop the fan, and Mike- and Sam buys some time by dumping some very flammable chemicals that have been set up already on the floor. It's a factory. It's a factory. There's flammable chemicals everywhere. Like... Turtles are being turned into Teenage Mutant Ninjas all the time here. Mm-hmm. And so he dumps all this flammable liquid on the floor and then gets a hold of like an acetylene torch and uses it as a dead man switch. There's been a lot of dead man switches this season, yeah. I feel like. I feel like this season is the dead man switch season because like they're constantly in such dire straits because there's truly so much going on that like so much of their plan is just like, well, if you kill me, we all die. Like it's it's a very like mutually assert destruction season, yeah. and I kind of like that. No, it is feel a little thematically consistent. Mm-hmm. And uh, Vanek was in Pirates of the Caribbean: Dead Man's Chest, <laughs> and then so Vanek breaks through, and he says very reasonably, and I love him in this role, by the way. Kevin Kevin McNally is his name. He's great in this role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's doing a good job. He's so affable, mm-hmm. um, and he says very reasonably that this isn't your problem, <laughs> like. Just give me Schmidt. I don't want you. I don't know who you are. I don't know what your deal is. I honestly feel bad about punching you. Yeah. I think that this is the scene where he even says that. Like, yeah, it's like, I... He's like, it was a cheap shot. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. You seem like a nice enough guy. Mm -hmm. Like, I just want this asshole. You know he's an asshole. You've met him. (laughs) Just give him to me. I'm going to torture him and kill him. Don't... You go do your shit. And Sam disagrees with that. As Michael stops the fan and Fee and Sam get through the fan... And Sam sets all the chemicals on fire, which did throw me a bit because I feel like we went out of our way to establish that, like, Vanek was already in the chemicals. Mm-hmm. It seems like they should have gotten yeah, burned I think, here. Yeah, I was going to say, because he steps into the room and then, like, looks down at, like, the puddle at his feet. Exactly. It seemed weird that, like, they did not get burned. But either way, Vanek decides that he might have to kill them as well. It's like, okay, you're making it seem like I should kill you. <laughs> like, I don't know why you're doing this, but I might have to kill you now. Because of the way that you were acting. <laughs> like, the choices that you were making are making me think I should kill you. That's all I'm saying. So maybe you should make some different choices. <laughs> oh, look, it's the consequences of your own actions. Yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, Jesse and Madeline arrive outside and Jesse calls Michael. And Michael is a little surprised that Madeline is there. And Jesse's like, well, was it, it was either that or leave her unguarded. <laughs> and yeah. we all know that's not going to end well for exactly. us. Exactly. Uh, so the gang and Schmidt make their way to the back of the factory, but Schmidt still thinks they should just kill everybody. And Fee is done. <laughs> Fee just hates this dude. <laughs> like, he has done nothing but make bad decisions the entire time they've known him. Yeah, it's fair. Tracks. Exactly. They get pinned down by some guys with automatic weapons, and they have to make a run for it. But Schmidt, who has been so whiny, like, does not listen to what he's supposed to do and, like, stops, like, when he should be running, and he gets grazed by a bullet and michael has to go back for him and like it takes all of this time like and and so they don't just get right out of there and while this is happening jesse sees that the path of escape is now being cut off from the outside by bennick's men Mm -hmm. and so uh jesse calls michael and tells him you can't go out the back so sorry but that's out of bounds. Yeah, basically it was like the semi-automatic weapons are bad at long range. So as long as you keep moving, you yeah. have a, actually a pretty good chance of getting out alive. But Schmidt panics and like hides behind something, which gets him shot and also delays them just long enough that their window, yeah, window is closed. Their window is closed, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that more in Spy Tips. Talk about next scene, next scene. We'll talk about next scene, next scene. <laughs> anyway, and Fee at this point really just wants to give Schmidt up. And Michael seems unsure, which really pisses Sam off because, like, Sam has lines. And it's like, <laughs> we don't leave people, we don't leave men behind. We don't leave men for dead. We don't shoot Tom Card in cold blood. <laughs> like, we don't kill anyone except for maybe Nate. We understand Nate. Like, yeah. but yeah, like, this is not who we are. We get other people to kill each other. Exactly. Anyway, Vanek calls again and adds another wrinkle. The passport ships that started all of this have tracking devices in them as a matter of course, as an insurance policy. So, And uh, since Schmidt called the feds on Bannock, the feds now have the ability to track those passports, or will have them very soon. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, 
Schmidt knew this. Mm-hmm. And so he fucked you, too. So, mm-hmm. like, you shouldn't have any loyalty to this guy. I, Vanek, I can get you out of the country. I have access to a pirate ship. I can get you out. <laughs> I will personally escort you. I will carry you like a baby out of this country. I will walk you across the border myself. Exactly. Give me Patton Oswald. Exactly. So Michael thinks about it. And he sends Sam and Fee away to go look, look for some stuff. He's like, I saw some stuff that we could blow out another wall. Go find that stuff. And crabs Schmidt and walks him out at gunpoint while Schmidt freaks out and admits that he knew the passports could be tracked, but he figured they could have make, made it. Schmidt has this idea that, like, Michael Weston is a superhero. Yeah, I was going to say magic. Michael Weston is magic. Exactly. He's Magic Mike. He's Magic Mike. Exactly. That's who he thinks he is. And to be fair, he's not wrong. No. But he is wrong Sort of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is making a lot of assumptions about the things that Michael Weston can do. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. And so he goes, he takes Schmidt out to meet Vanek outside at the back of the factory with a gun to Schmidt's head because he knows that Vanek wants Schmidt alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the dead man switch is now, Schmidt. <laughs> yeah. So Michael threatens to kill Schmidt before Vanek can get any information out of him. And he lays out his conditions. All of Vanek's men need to back up behind a certain gate. And then once they're on the other side of that gate, he will give up Schmidt. Um, which is, it's kind of weird that like no one, not even the, everyone else who's watching Michael understand that this is a gambit. I mean, it doesn't even sound like, I think it's more just like, I want you to be as far back as possible yeah. so that when I throw Schmidt to you, it would be harder for you to come back and get me. Like, it does seem a little tricky, but like, yeah, Michael seems genuinely furious. I mean, he does seem Schmidt genuine... seems genuinely terrified, which Michael eventually says, like, was the point, but... Exactly. Um, it's a little obvious, it's a little but obvious. I buy it for, like... Because I feel like Vanek has made some genuinely good points at this point. No, of course. But I think the thing that really... Is, is suspicious. It's not suspicious. Is that, like, I buy that Vanek buys it. Mm-hmm. But, like, the whole time we're also intercutting between, like, Jesse and Madeline watching this happen. Mm-hmm. And Fee and Sam watching this happen. And everyone's like... Oh, I guess we're doing this. Like, <laughs> well, they can't hear what's happening. They can't hear what's happening, but they're like, oh, like, <laughs> even once people start moving back, it's like, oh, I don't know. Maybe we're doing this. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Well, and, and this is also where Michael is like, I, I think Schmidt says something to the effect of like, I thought Sam said you don't do this kind of thing. And Michael's like, we don't do this kind of thing. That's why I'm out here. Exactly. Alone. No, he's doing a real kind of like. Martyr. Uh, martyr thing. Like a real, like. Chris Nolan, Batman, mm-hmm. like, I gotta hold all this, you know, responsibility, like, not the hero that these people deserve, but the one they need right now. Exactly. But yeah. I like this for Michael, no, because yeah. this 100% tracks for me. Like, no, Michael totally. Weston is a lot of things. He is super consistent as a character. Yeah, totally. And with everyone except for Nate, but even that is kind of consistent, because fuck Nate. Yeah. We've always said that. But, like... I totally buy that Michael Weston starts this series as, like, an idealistic burn spy who's like, just let me have my job back. I love the government. But then the more he learns and the more outside the system he deals in, he starts to understand the world is more complicated than that. And now he's, like, kind of in this sort of dark night of the soul of, like, he fucked up bad enough that like his girlfriend went to prison and almost died a bunch. And then he fucked up bad enough that his brother ends up literally dead. And now he's in this position of like, you know, he, he goes the full, he, he learns fully the wrong lesson from all of this, which is isolationism. (laughs) I must take on everything bad, but like, he doesn't have the self-reflection to recognize that this is also making things worse. Right. For him. And like Jesse sort of points this out a couple episodes ago where Michael's like, I'm going to turn myself in. I don't want Sam to go off. And Jesse makes the point of like, you know, that's not going to help. Like your fucking Lone Ranger bullshit just gets both of you caught. But like, I don't think Michael has fully taken this in. Yet. No. I don't, I don't think he's internalized this as like, oh, I should lean on other people. He's going to, I think he's going to by the end of certainly the series, but I do, I like this. I think this makes sense. I think it makes him more interesting. I like that Michael Weston is willing to go on, like walk on the dark side a little bit. Michael Weston firmly believes in any given room that he is the most adult in that room. And also the most disposable. Yes. Which I understand that totally. Mm -hmm. Anyway, 
However, once the bad guys get on the other side of the gate, Michael shoots a transformer, an electrical transformer, not like a Autobot transformer. <laughs> shoots an electrical thing, and there's a huge explosion and a wall of fire that gives Jesse cover to come in and get them all in the dump truck and go. <laughs> and they go back to Schmidt's place, and where Schmidt doesn't believe that Michael intended to save him because there's no way he could have known about the Transformer. And Michael assures him that if it hadn't have been that, it would have been something else. But Schmidt is not buying it. And Jeffrey Donovan is playing in a way that really feels like he was going to do it. Mm-hmm. And then the last minute was like... And I didn't even consider this. Like, I assumed the whole time, like, Michael Weston's got another angle No, of this. course. Yeah. But when sh- the next scene, Schmidt's like, you couldn't have seen that. Before. I mean, I knew that he couldn't have seen... Like, the thing that like Michael says, is the thing that I was assuming that is that he was walking out and looking to see what was out there. But is and and I buy that and I and uh, but like as soon as Schmidt mentioned it and Michael Weston seemed like too calm, I was like, he was gonna do it. He was gonna do he it. He was a hundred percent gonna do it, yeah. and that makes me like that moment so much more. Not because he like decided to go with his better angels, but because like I like that he's willing to go there. Right. Now. Because, no, like, sense. I mean, he was willing to go there for fee. He went there for fee a lot, you know. But he, it also kind of becomes this Nate. thing wherein the show kind of has its cake and eats it too. I mean, sure. And, like, that kind of frustrates me a little. But I just, I like that Michael Weston can do something other than ride, like, the neutral moderate ground. Yeah. You know, I like that we're seeing. Except he does, though, because he shoots the Transformer. He does shoot the Transformer. But, like, I believe that if there hadn't been an option... No, of or course. an option that was harder, he wouldn't have done it. No, I, I, I believe that. But he's glad that Schmidt is still alive. Or I think uh, Schmidt's glad. Schmidt's, yeah, Schmidt's glad that Schmidt's alive. But I think also, <laughs> could take but I think Michael is glad that he didn't have to kill a man. Mm-hmm. I think that is a thing that is true. That's um, the thing that is true. But he was willing to do it. He is willing to do it, and I like that. Yeah, and Schmidt assures Michael that the passports will still be good enough to get them out of the country. But at which point you should ditch them. Because, mm-hmm. like, at that point, the FBI will have gotten a hold of them and they will be toxic. Michael tells him that he should get away too. And he's like, Yeah, I'm just, look for me at the opposite end of the globe of wherever you are. Mm-hmm. I will always be as far away from you as possible <laughs> because, like, I've gotten lucky so far, but I think in the future I might not get so lucky. He is not wrong. He is not wrong. And then Jesse pops in to say that Madeline is, Madeline is missing, but he thinks he knows where she is. And so, Mad- so Michael meets Madeline at Nate's grave, and Madeline talks about how Nate was a dreamer who wanted to travel almost as much as he loved graphic design, no doubt. I forgot about graphic design. I will never forget about graphic design. <laughs> but, like, Nate wanted to take Madeline places, and Michael asks her to allow him to do that for Nate. Albeit under an assumed identity yeah. as enemies of the state, but you know. But you know, like something there. He then notices flowers at the grave and Madeline says that she didn't bring them. And is like, oh, a friend of Nate's must have brought them, which is ridiculous. Nate doesn't have friends. Mm-mm. And Madeline, but Madeline, I could believe maybe having like a mother's eyes thinks that Nate has friends, but Nate doesn't have friends and Michael knows this. Well, Ben Watkins is Nate's friend. The character that Ben Watkins plays in this show. Yeah. That's true. And he's alive, I think, the last time we checked. That's true. And he does have a thing about flowers. <laughs> so it could have been him. Yeah, Andre's uh, brother, whoever right. his name was. Michael says that he wants a mental loan with Nate's grave, which is alive, but it's okay. And, 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 and Madeline's like, oh, good. Oh, I'm good. glad. <laughs> it's like, Madeline, you got to give and, this up. Nobody at this likes point, me. I thought it was a bug. I thought it was a bug, too. I thought he was going to pick up the, the flowers and, like, talk into it. Like, yeah. let my mom walk away and I'll come quietly. Exactly that. And it turns out, no, it's not a bug. And it's probably not from Riley. No. It is uh, a message with a phone number and says that, like, there is some help for him from a friend. Yeah, and a phone number. And a f- it's weird that they're not staking out Nate's grave. It it's is- weird that they get away with this. Here's the thing. On one hand, yes, it's incredibly weird. On the other hand, literally no one cares about Nate. <laughs> That's true. If it was anyone else's grave, like, I bet they're staking out the dad's grave. Yeah. No, they're like, they're... I swear we talk about this dude more than we talk about Nate. Even when Nate was fucking alive and the father of the only grandchild so far. No, literally, yeah, no one cares about Nate. Like, like Riley, the, like, best super spy spy hunter that ever was. 
doesn't care about Nate. Doesn't think to put something on Nate's grave. Which is ironic because yeah. the only reason Tom Card is dead is because he killed Nate. Yeah, but again, no one cares. <laughs> no one cares. Because yeah, even a- I think even at the point at which Michael tells Riley the whole story, it's more about like Card was running to other things on the side and not he killed my brother. Right. No, like it's literally like a thing. It's they like- had to add another thing because like just killing Nate is not enough to get Michael Weston that worked up. Honestly, it's a little bit of a Ben is Glory situation that Nate even existed at all. <laughs> it's all right, Nate. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about some spy tips. Let's do it. All right. Oh, so there's I not have, very many. There's no, only five. I have five here that are possible. So if any one of these are not good, then that's the ball game. That's the ball However, game. However, I do think these are all pretty good. Okay. All right, so let's get Wait, started. Wait, how this episode is going to be like ten minutes long because I swear to God we spent like twenty minutes talking about Doctor Who to an extent that I think I'm going to have to cut a decent amount of it. But we haven't even cracked an hour yet. How yeah. did this happen? I don't know. I think there. This is a very straightforward episode. Yeah, that's true. There's a like, lot, that's there's been a lot of those recently. I feel like because we're we're sort of in the process of leaving. Exactly. So there's just like. Every episode is one particular obstacle. Exactly. That's like I was saying, they're really drawing all of this out Mm -hmm. and it's really granular, but it also means that like a lot of this is not stuff that's interesting to talk about or Mm -hmm. like going into like the details. Right. Like there's not a lot of- we don't have an additional new character who's like a client we have to learn about. Exactly. So it's all like stuff that's like we've kind of seen before. It's also a lot less procedural. This is like- hyper serialized exactly which is very interesting like this is a season where i don't think we've had more non-client episodes than client episodes but we've had certainly more non-client episodes than ever before oh capita oh yeah totally and i like that but there is something where i do kind of miss them being hamstrung into doing a a client even during these sorts of episodes not every time i like that they have the freedom but I will say, having been through enough of these episodes now, it's like, I kind of do wish that they were forced to also do even a small thing. I mean, I don't know. I feel like they do, like, a decent job of it. Like, Pat Oswalt is the client this week. Yeah, but he's been the client the last three weeks. No, but, like, I feel like it was a little bit different last week. Like... We literally just talked about last week. I don't even remember what the plot was. I was just thinking the same thing. I was like, what happens? I don't remember. Last week, a lot of the big stuff was Madeline and Barry running around. Like, there was a lot of time being taken up. Exactly. It was... Yeah, it was it was the um, the bank heist with yeah. the broken machine. Right. So that was Schmidt, too. So, yeah, Schmidt is... Schmidt has been the client for the last mm-hmm. three weeks. And he's, he's become the client because of his own incompetence. Like, right. I think 100% of the problems that go wrong at a certain point are just Schmidt doing bullshit. No, totally. 100%. Anyway, let's talk about spy tips. Okay. Yes. Sorry. All right. When you're being chased, you want to be driving something with speed, maneuverability, and stability. Like somehow, a Hyundai. <laughs> somehow this is not a car commercial. In other words, you want to be driving anything but a container van. If you find yourself in an underpowered vehicle with a high center of gravity at a top speed of 60 miles per hour, your best bet is to attack whoever's after you with everything you have. If an attack's out of the question, it's all about getting as much distance as you can between yourself and the pursuers and bailing out. Do you feel like there's enough specifics there? I don't think so. Because basically it's like, don't be driving a container van if you are fight them, I guess, because you can't outrun them. And if you can't fight them, outrun them, which doesn't make sense. The own internal logic of this tip doesn't make sense. How do you put distance between yourselves if you can't attack and you can't go fast enough? To be fair, there's a difference between putting distance and outrunning. Like outrunning means that you're going to keep going faster than them the whole time. And then, like, but how do you put distance speed. between yourself? I, that's the specific I need because you're already remember, admitting to the fact that it's not fast enough. I mean, I'm trying to remember in the episode what the detail of it was. I feel I like don't there, even was... Think there was one. I think they just noticed a factory. Oh no, what it was was Sam made like a really quick U-turn. Yeah, like it's one of those where like the point is like find a like a gambit that can very quickly put a little bit of distance. Like even like the thing that Madeline does in the other episode where like she kind of bolts. Mm-hmm. Like that yeah, sort you, of you drive slow until your moment and then exactly. you drive fast all of a sudden so they're exactly. not on edge. But like the point is like just enough distance so you can bail out without like like that's the point. I feel like that's obvious though. I mean if I know I can't outrun them and I don't have the materials to fight them, what else am I gonna do? Give up? It's possible. This is up to you. I'm going to let you decide this. I'm just pointing out now that, like, if you 
I'm dooming it. You're dooming this episode already. I you... am dooming it. If I if I say no to this, it's officially doomed because there's no alias. Exactly. So that's what do you want to do about that? Let's read the rest of the tips and we'll come okay. back to this one. All right, let's do that. If you want to scare someone to <laughs> This is not how science works. Yeah. If you want to scare someone into thinking their vehicle is malfunctioning, nothing is more convincing than a small explosion. The mercury Fulminate in a blasting cap gives you the perfect amount of explosive to send the message loud and clear without killing the vehicle or anyone in it. Yeah, that's good. All right. Industrial suction vans spin at more than 1,400 RPM and weigh as much as 500 pounds. Trying to physically stop one requires using an object heavy enough to stop its linear momentum. And if you don't want to throw your back out, it's best to let the fan do most of the work for you. Yeah, so that was like the like the scooter thing. The scooter thing with and like, like the, the rope that Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Number four. A tough thing. See I I can say all the numbers this time because we only have five. Mm-hmm. Um You have you've only done the numbers for like two of them so far. Exactly. So <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> You're a nightmare to work with. The tough thing about going up against someone carrying a machine pistol is that they fire over a thousand rounds a minute. The good news is that they're notoriously inaccurate at long distances. So if you keep moving, you've got a pretty good chance of making it out in one piece. If you stop, on the other hand, you are bound to catch a bullet. This is on the line, but it's don't stop. Yeah. Just go. Exactly. And that's something. Right. Like, you have to be able to tell that it's a machine pistol. I feel like you'll notice that. Like, the way that it shoots. Right. You know. Exactly. I play enough shooter games when I'm not playing Stardew Valley. Right. All right, so how do we feel about that one? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm more willing to keep that one than the first one. Than the first one? one? Yeah. All right. If you need to make a clean exit, putting an electrical transmitter between you and your enemy will make sure there won't be a firefight. All it takes is one bullet to disrupt the sensitive electronics and create an explosive power surge. Of course, sometimes an explosive power surge is exactly what you need. How do you feel? Now, at this point, you've read all of the tips. I know. And you can decide if you feel like... This episode deserves to be a great episode of Burn Notice. Like, or even just, like, on a more concrete level, if on a macro level, there are five spy tips here. Even if you can't, like... That might be a little bit easier than trying to, like, judge each one individually. Do you feel it? Because there's a few that are kind of borderline. Does it really seem to you there are five spy tips here? Or does it feel like there's four and a half? Yeah, I feel like, honestly, I feel like there's three and then two halves that make a fourth. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's, like, yeah, exactly. Like, I I, I don't love that it's being put on my shoulders. But I don't want to be Atlas, but how do you feel about this list? I mean, I will say, like, I was willing to cut the first one some slack. But yeah, it doesn't feel like there's quite five spy tips here. Especially for an episode set in a factory where where they're doing a bunch of stuff. Exactly. I feel like, once again, similar to, I think, sometimes what Michael Horowitz ends up doing is that Peter Lillianis and Ryan Johnson have so much good diegetic work that a lot of times they forget or run out of space to put it in the voiceover exactly. as well. Which is, like, better writing, usually. Because mo- it's better to show, not tell. But does make the burn notice formula suffer a little bit. A little bit, yeah. And I don't think that that's a failing necessarily no but yeah but it's something to be realistic about we are scientists we are scientists this is not enough spy tips all right so not five practical spy tips Mm -mm. did this episode get solved to spycraft over violence yes because they were just sort of like in person they were being pursued the whole episode and they had to just keep like stalling until they could find an opening yeah this whole episode was like them being pursued over the whole episode uh, over the course of like frankly a very short distance mm-hmm. but like they're just like a little bit ahead of like the bad guys the whole time yeah which like another ryan johnson product it's <laughs> a different ryan johnson yeah we get it we get it all right uh but do we think spycraft over violence yeah. yes all yeah. right uh there's no alias in this episode no not one so are at least two supporting characters used well uh, Fee, does Fee get to blow something up? Mm-mm. I don't think... She, she, Michael tells her, ooh, we're going to blow something up. But then it turns out that it's a lie, so he can maybe go kill Patton Oswald. And also, like, 
Sam blows something up, and then Fee gets mad about the way it's done. <laughs> that's true. I don't know if that's a mark for it or against it, but that is true. Like, she did have a lot of opinions about an explosive thing that happened. But I don't know if that counts as her being used well. I don't know if it does either. I don't think so. No, I don't, like, Fee... I think she, because that's not Fee, enough agency. Like, no. that's that's decent character work, but it's not... That right. character is used to exactly. the greatest extent of her abilities. Do you feel like they get anything for having the good psychotic fee? No. Okay. Then yeah, no, no, fee was not used well. They understand one. her, but she's not used well. No, I agree. What, what about Bruce Campbell? Was he used well? Hmm. Was he peak Bruce Campbell? Was he peak Bruce Campbell? I don't think so. I feel like he also kind of falls by the wayside. Like, this is very much like a Michael and Patton Oswald episode. It really is. Is like basically Fee and Sam are the peanut gallery. Jesse's fucked off with Madeline, and it is Michael Weston front and center making some like tough moral decisions. Right. So I don't think so because he doesn't really do anything particularly Bruce, Bruce Campbell. No, he doesn't. Like he 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 similar to Fiona makes his his character statement of we can't send a man to his death. Yeah, like it's a beat that we've been hitting. Mm-hmm. Like so, it doesn't feel like uh, yeah yeah. There's nothing new with it. And Jesse, Jesse doesn't get anything to do this episode. Not really. Yeah, he's just with Madeline. I feel like he could have gone, they could have done a little bit more with the truck driver scene. It's a fun scene. Yeah. But more for Madeline. Yeah, that's a Madeline showcase, not Mm. a Jesse showcase. Yeah. Speaking of Madeline, does that count as doing the case of the week? I think so. Oh, right. She is involved in getting them an escape escape vehicle exactly so she is involved mm-hmm. however that's not enough there needs mm-hmm. to be at least two supporting characters that are used well but even if two supporting characters were used well it's not st- enough because the other ones weren't as well so mm-hmm. really this was not a great episode of burn notice Mm-mm. peter ryan what are you doing i mean i feel like that's happened before oh yeah totally was it a great episode of television that's the question was it i don't think there was quite enough thematically like it was an exciting it was a fun episode i enjoyed it we both liked the setting i like they're trying to do a thing about schmidt Mm -hmm. they're trying to make the movie about schmidt (laughs) (laughs) they're trying to do this thing where it's about whether or not they should like let him go Mm -hmm. but like the show doesn't quite have enough nuance to do that Mm -mm. like it becomes this thing where Again, Sam is hitting the same beat that he's been hitting for the past three episodes. Yeah. I think, like, if this episode existed on its own, but, like, as the end of the Schmidt arc, it feels, like, a little stretched. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like there's enough there, and there's not a whole lot of, like, digging into that on a character level or I a theme honestly, level. I honestly, I think what would have really changed it is if we had learned that Schmidt implicated them as well a little bit earlier, earlier and let yeah. the other characters weigh in exactly. maybe even madeline i feel like that would i would have made a stronger case right because exactly. then it becomes instead of just like the michael weston show it becomes like a conversation about like we as a group have to redefine like our exactly. shit because like we've already made a lot of decisions unilaterally this can't be made unilaterally exactly it's not like there's not an interesting conversation that's happening it's just like the same thing that's been happening for the past few like yeah episodes. michael decides to self-sacrifice and yeah. take on the darkness exactly but then you know finds a convenient way out and does yeah and you just have a bunch of kind of repetitive scenes mm-hmm. of like fee being like which is not this we... episode's fault necessarily but i mean i think it is a little bit this episode's fault yes. like because i think on one hand the scenes are repetitive because we've seen them in other episodes. Mm-hmm. But even in this episode, they are repetitive yeah. because they're not iterated on really. They're not mm-hmm. like, there's not like a progression to them. It's just like Fee being like, I yeah. don't like him. And Sam being like, I don't like murder. And then like <laughs> a few true. scenes later, I don't like him. Well, I don't like murder. And like, yeah, that's kind of... The reason this episode didn't take that long to recap is because it's basically, you know, they're pursued through a factory there's the same argument three times until we learn a new thing, and Sam and Madeline or Jesse and Madeline sit outside and wait for it to be over. Exactly, that's all that happens. Right, there's very little plot. It feels like they could have done more with like the locked room of it all. Yeah, and given us opportunities to set people up to have hard conversations with each other because they're trapped. Because exactly, they're backed against a wall. And the thing is, especially too, because 
it's weird the way that like Sam keeps reiterating this stuff, mm-hmm. but never mentioning Card. Yeah, it feels like you you got to evoke the thing that almost broke the team exactly to ensure the team doesn't break again. Yeah, there's no like calling back to that or like dealing with that. Like they've never really talked about it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if that was like part of it. Yeah, if this was also sort of the finale, not just of. Patton Oswalt's arc, but also of, like, the redefining of the gang's dynamics and their moral compass. I think that could have been... And and you wouldn't have to change that much. No, it's just you have to, like... It's just using the space better. Exactly. Yeah, and... But they don't do that. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's just an episode of television. Yeah, I I think so, too. Yeah. They've... uh, Out of the five episodes they've written, they've only now had two great episodes of Burn Notice. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah, they're not actually that good at writing Burn Notice, mm -hmm. but they're, like, good at writing television. I do like this episode. Yeah, I like this episode, too. And I like these writers. We've liked them before. They uh, Out of their five episodes, they've written two great episodes. So, you know, 40% hit rate. Not terrible. Not terrible at all. But yeah, could have gone a little, especially for an episode this late in the season. Yeah. That is this tied to the like season long arc. You know, this isn't a standalone episode. This is an episode that needs to have some continuity. Right. Thematically and character wise. And it just didn't. No. So it's an episode of television and that's it. That's all it is. And there's nothing left but... There's nothing left but to say thanks once again to Vincent E.L. for our theme music. If you want more from them, go to vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until then, bye. Bye, everyone. I'm going to go back to playing Stardew Valley. Like, yeah, she already had it ready. (laughs)